Hello and welcome to episode 265 of the Random Nintendo Podcast. I am Jason. I am Angel. I am Kevin. And uh, I gotta say, there there were a lot of routes we could have gone with this episode's title. Uh, we're calling it Big Screen's Debut because we'll be sharing our first impressions of the Switch OLED model here at its launch weekend. Oh, but if it we went with? what? That's what we went with. That is, you you know that because it's in a text chain. But uh, but if it wasn't. But, but to your point, Angel, there were other options because if it wasn't for a hardware debut superseding everything else, uh, we could have easily called this episode something like, I don't know, like Ball So Hard because we have impressions of Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania and Season 3 of Knockout City. Or or we could have called it Sora Nara Smash Bros in tribute to Sora joining Smash Ultimate as its I absolutely would have vetoed that. Oh, well, I'm not going to lie. I'm the proudest of that of all these possible titles. It's peak me. Like, it's the perfect pun for me. But yes, it's yeah, also... Honestly, <laughs> All the, the ones more... you just mentioned feel way better than the one we ended up getting. Well, wait, but Kevin just said he was going to veto the Sora one, so that sounds worse. Or maybe it's so much better, it, it, this greatness can't be comprehended and we had to knock it down. Yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> but um, alas, there is only room for the one title. Um, so it's going to the biggest, literal biggest thing of them all, which is this new hardware which is where we're going to begin today's show. But if something else I mentioned tickles your fancy or, you know, everyone out there listening and you simply can't wait, we do have timestamps on the blog post at ramtail.com for this episode. Um, but yeah, I guess on, on to the, I mean, how are you guys doing? <laughs> everything, everything good in your, it's a big, big gaming week in general with Metroid and the OLED and new Knockout City season. I feel sick. That's unfortunate. Are, do you, are you sick or do you just feel I just feel sick. Yeah. <laughs> it's starting to get cold in LA. Mm. Um, and so, like, it's not necessarily, but I get, like, flu-like symptoms, but it's not necessarily, I do not have the flu. So I get, like, the runny nose, the oh, sure. hoarse yeah. voice, that kind of thing. Well, the hoarse voice. Well, while I'm not sick, I may sound sick on the audio because I do not have my normal setup today, so apologies in advance for much worse quality on my end, which... I don't know how much worse it's going to be. Maybe it's a non-issue, but I'm sure it will at least bother someone. You already blew out the so... mic twice, so that's going to be fun to edit. <laughs> now, to be fair, he may have blown out the mic to us because we're on a separate audio feed than what gets recorded. But hopefully, hopefully it's just us. Wait, blot out the mic? B- blew out when you when you make the like sort of thing. Uh oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I do that I'm, all the time. Anyone that listens has heard and me not a million times. So. Oh yeah, I, I do it too. We all do yeah. it. Oh, I would yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, you you edit it all. You definitely know. Um, but yeah, so I guess all those uh, disclaimers aside, for lack of a better way of putting it, I guess we could jump into the OLED. Uh, I'm I think I'm the only one that ended up buying one, unless one of you surprised me and didn't mention it. That is correct. Nope, okay. I am not buying one. So At that's most fair. Most just the dock for the LAN. Wait, why? But you have a LAN adapter. Why would you need? To buy, are you gonna... I said at most, if I were to buy something from it, it would right, be right. Dock. But I'm saying, why would it even be the dock? You have that covered, unless you're getting a second dock. Uh, you can never have too many dogs, but I mean, why would I want to willingly keep using a dongle when it's already built in? It's just one less thing to worry about. Um, you because you already bought the dongle, do... plugged in the dongle, <laughs> versus having to unwire and go buy a hundred dollar dock. Maybe. I mean. If I play Smash Brothers here or at home, like I'm always presented with the same issue. Like I need a way to play with the LAN connection. Okay, I see. Because you do move around the LAN. Yeah. yeah, I literally play Smash Brothers online in three different locations regularly. 
I so, feel like that's like the weirdest humble brag. Guys, I go to three different, I have three different places I play Smash Bros. Like, come on. That, that is definitely not a brag. <laughs> I know. Like, I, if, I, I mean, a, a, a perfect world is you only have to play in one location yeah, and yeah. have to worry about constantly switching. So, that's fair. yeah. If I could have uh, another dedicated one, because I don't want to have to buy another dongle. It just seems cleaner to have the dongle. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I don't know if they sell the dock separately at this point. Yeah, I was going to say, like, are they, I would imagine on Nintendo store.nintendo.com or whatever that place maybe they sell a lot more on store.nintendo.com than they used to they have merch now they have actually sold the switch hardware like the oled hardware was available on there on launch day briefly for like two minutes but yeah they actually do use the store as a more full-fledged store so maybe maybe it's there um ironically you're like oh i might need another dock and i'm saying you're like i have too many docks so i'm actually taking one of the docks because i have the old two yeah that's too many like I have one TV I play on, but what I am doing is putting a dock on the TV in the in in my bedroom just in case. And it's just gonna sit there and gather dust. But at least I can be like, oh, if I want to play on this TV, now I can. So it's literally Wait, the opposite. Did they announce? Did they announce if they were gonna actually sell I, these? Separately? I don't think they have actually said yet. I could be wrong. Hmm. I think it feels like they did, but eh, who knows? I, they did uh, say you can. Yeah. They they're two way street. Which makes me think then probably they are going to sell them separately because you can use the new dock with the old Switch and the old dock with the new Switch. In fact, right now I do have the new Switch on my old dock on the TV um, in my living room because so, it just looks better because everything on that shelf is black. So the black dock just looks good. But um, anyway. Um, but yeah, so dock aside, um, as of I guess this recording, I've had the Switch OLED for about 20 hours. Uh, some of which I admit I was sleeping during, others I was working. A uh, few hours I spent on this podcast, but uh, so to be very clear, these are these are early impressions of the system. But like, what an impression it makes! I mean, coming into it, I obviously knew the screen would be an improvement and it'd have a new kickstand and whatnot. But I was surprised by a few different aspects of it, like in ways I didn't well, expect. First, how superior you feel when you're playing it on the exactly, TV. Exactly, that you have it. No, yeah, just, the, just sitting there playing Tetris 99 last night, getting that Monster Hunter skin, I was just like, man, I'm better than, not in skill, but just in life than 85% of these people. No, yeah, that, no. that's honestly what I expected no. you. No, that's what, like. dude, that's what updating iPhones are for. So you have the latest one when you walk around and you just feel superior, not not switches. Uh, no, but in, seriously, um, there were a couple of surprising things about it. First, just the build quality. Um there's, of course, you know, been these ongoing rumors of a Switch Pro and this isn't that and yada yada. But upgrading from a standard Switch to the OLED model is actually pretty reminiscent of the bump from like a regular iPhone to a Pro in terms of materials used and just like the overall feel of the device. Like the screen and kickstand here are swapping out plastic for glass and metal, respectively, which just makes the entire system just feel a whole lot sturdier. Like, I, I don't know if you've ever done this with your guys' Switches or if you've had this happen with your Switches, but if you hold them a certain way, the regular Switch, there is a little flex sometimes. You can always make it sort of, like, creak. Like, if you push on part, certain parts here so far, there's none of that. Like, just in the hand, it feels like a premium product compared to the OG Switch, which, you know, I didn't even think about that potentially being a factor, but it's actually really nice uh, to just, like, hold. Uh, and, it, and it looks like a premium product in a lot of small ways, too. One thing that... um has always been kind of a pet peeve of mine uh, with Nintendo systems is they put that silly product barcode somewhere visible, like that sticker, that white sticker. Presumably it's for inventory scanning where, you know, it leaves Nintendo and they know it left or if there's any sort of repairs, it comes in, they can scan it. But um, on the original Switch, it was like on the bottom of the console, just in plain sight. And if you have a darker, you know, if you have the black Switch with the gray Joy-Cons like I did, it's just this weird white 
stripe, essentially. And uh, that has now been moved inside the hinge, as has all the regulatory text and logos. All of it's now hidden under the hinge in a kind of Apple Store way. So when you look at the Switch unit itself, not the Joy-Cons, those still have all the gibberish, but, you know, the tablet part, it's just really clean. It's, it's just what Nintendo wanted there. No legalese, no stickers. It just looks it looks clean. It's a minor thing, but, you know, it's part of this, like, subtle yet nice evolution of the Switch design over the years. Like, the first Switch was a cool-looking gadget, right? Like, it, it felt premium compared to, like, the Wii U, which felt kind of like a Fisher-Price toy at times. And then the Switch Lite sort of smoothed out some of the rough edges of the Switch. Like, literally, it is rounded off and now this one brings some of the clean like switch light adjustments like the vent design and stuff to the main unit but then gives it kind of a high-end feel so it's just like this nice next step in person and it spills over to the accessories too like the Joy-Con grip now has like an embossed logo or a, a engraved logo instead of just printed on so it's like it just feels more premium um which is again it's just really nice in person like nicer than I expected um and then surprise number two is believe it or not actually the screen itself um again just really nice in person uh, I have an, you know, an, uh, an OLED TV. I have an OLED phone. So the idea of like, oh, an OLED screen, like I kind of knew what to expect. Like literally it's called the OLED model. So it's just going to be an OLED screen, but using it, like holding it in front of me, it just, it looks really good. Like it, it, the size difference from, I think it's 6.2 inches to seven. Like it sounds like it wouldn't matter much. And if you put the two systems side by side, like the OLED and the standard, it doesn't look like it matters much, nor can you really tell in photos that there's a huge difference. But when you're actually using it, you know, being being for something super colorful like Mario Kart or more moody and full of, like, darkness like Metroid or or even, you know, when I, was, I mentioned Tetris, I was doing this weekend's uh, Maximus Cup. Even that, like, the colors, like, that roughly one-eighth increase makes a surprising difference in just how the games look and feel. Tetris is maybe the weakest example because it's, you know, Tetris. But, like, more cinematic games, more game, games that draw you in. Like, it really it really makes a difference. And I think a big part of this is because of a sneaky little menu option Nintendo didn't talk about much before launch um, called the console screen colors. Uh, that's the name of the saying. It's, it's buried deep down in system settings, and essentially what it does is increase the vibrancy of colors while keeping the black and whites about the same. It's on by default. Even in menus, it really makes things pop. Um, which, you know, for Nintendo's style of graphics and presentation, that's just perfect, having the vibrancy just cranked up. Um, I haven't tried it with every game yet. Like, I'm really curious, you know, if something like Splatoon, which already focuses on such big, bold colors, how that's going to look with the extra vibrance. But I can already tell you that, you know, Animal Crossing just looks lush with it. Weirdly enough, the orange loading screen to the eShop just really pops. Like, it looks really good. And, you know, since this is an option, if you don't want colors that intense, there is a standard mode that brings them down a bit. Uh, but still, even in standard mode, the system looks great. And because it's OLED, like, the viewing angles are also really good for pretty much any angle. Like, this, things look like they're just straight up printed on the screen, which, you know, of, of course, pairs very nicely with the new kickstand, which is now able to adjust to any angle of your choosing. Um, I will say, actually, the kickstand, grabbing it off the back of the system can be a little tricky. Like, don't get me wrong, I'd much rather have it this way than the flimsiness of the normal switch kickstand but it it kind of takes some force and proper maneuvering of your finger to get out from its resting spot once it's out it's great and it holds strong at any angle the hinge design is really kind of clever it's just getting to that point that's i won't say a bit of work but it it's it's not it doesn't pop out as easily as the other kickstand and and to be fair i think part of this may be a me problem 
uh, since along the bottom of the kickstand is the mesh for the new speaker system. And I'm afraid to like accidentally press into that with my finger in case, you know, it has more flux than I think it does. So perhaps if I just accept that the speakers are there, Nintendo knows people will touch them, it's fine. And I just use that as the like pickup point for the kickstand. Maybe it'll be fine, but they're not like, they're nice speakers. I, I don't, I don't know, like, quote, if the quote unquote, like, enhanced audio is anything more than just louder volume. Like, it sounds louder. I don't know if the range is better. It does sound nice and loud, but I don't want to, like, risk doing anything of that because it does sound nice. So I'm kind of, like, finagling around that for the kickstand. But besides that, this, the system's just really nice and well built, and it just feels really good in the hand. But that brings me to surprise number three, which is the not good surprise. Like, for everything it does right, transferring your content to it is kind of an actual pain. I, like, I've done my fair share of moving Nintendo data. Classic. Between, well, here's the thing. I've done my fair share of moving data between different Nintendo platforms, including multiple sets of 3DSs, and those were kind of one and done. You know, going from the Wii to the Wii U, having your little Pikmin march along, that's kind of one and done. Here, it's like a Nintendo Classic in the sense of it's the most convoluted, backwards. It's a four, it's something like a four-part process, and it just takes way too much time. It has all these weird risks associated with it. So first, the easy part. When you start up um, a new Switch, it lets you, right in the initial setup, choose to import from another console. So, you know, you go grab your Switch, you send off the data as the source console. Cool, that's great. However, when you're what you're sending is actually not all your content. What you're sending is your Nintendo account-associated Switch user profile, its save data, and a record of your purchase software on that account. When the transfer is done, you still need to go to the eShop and then re-download all of your old purchases in DLC. And as far as I can tell, you have to do it one by one. I did not notice a download all option. So then the next logical yeah, thought... Kind of what I went through. You, oh, right, because you do have to do it. But you, you had a different situation because they like, erased yours, right? Kind of, yeah. So with the, oh, you're right, yeah. I did have to transfer an account, but if that's re-download everything... Yeah, which almost makes sense because like, your, your one switch got erased but but even then yeah to you you didn't see a download all option either right which seems like a weird oversight yeah it did not which yeah yeah it's strange but then so the next logical thought would be you know if there's no download all option if we both have to re-download our all our stuff okay what if all your games are on an sd card on your old switch or on the sd card you're using your old switch can you just plug and play no you cannot if you insert an sd card associated with your nintendo account from your old switch it tells you it needs to delete all the game data and you still need to re-download everything. Which I don't even know. Like, what it fortunately does is it keeps your album screenshots and videos and it keeps your save files that you may have on your SD card. But anything not custom to your specific Nintendo account, anything not tied directly to your Nintendo account, needs to be re-downloaded. Which makes zero sense because the data on the SD card is DRM'd to your Nintendo account. The reason it knows... That you need to re-download is because you're like, oh, this is JSR, which is, you know, my Switch profile or whatever, but it's a different Switch. So if it can identify me, and on the Switch it identifies me already as that Nintendo account, I understand why the SD card can't just go cool and switch over the games, but apparently it can't. And it doesn't stop there either. That's the thing. If you have other people's accounts on your Switch, say if you're doing Ring Fit like I was with my girlfriend, and that person doesn't have a Nintendo account tied to their Switch profile, you cannot transfer them over by default. Instead, you have one of two options. You either get them a proper Nintendo account, which not a big deal necessarily, but if you don't want to do that, you don't want to essentially sign them up for Nintendo's newsletters, uh, you can make a child account under your primary one and put that person as your child. 
And if you go the child route, Nintendo insists on a 50-cent temporary credit card charge to validate you're truly an adult because apparently only people over 18 can have credit cards, which is not even the case. But whatever. It's Nintendo's little safeguard. But there's still more than just that. So, so far we have... You have to re-download your games. You have to set up separate accounts. The last piece of it is say you have an Animal Crossing New Horizons island. For reasons really not clear, that doesn't go along with the transfer. Instead, what you need to do is download a special app from the eShop to move your island in full from one Switch to another. Or if you have Switch Online, you can seemingly do a cloud backup um, and then download that backup on your new on your new system where you're uh, you know, re-registered. The catch being you have to do the island backup inside the game, not through the Switch Online standard interface if you hit the plus button. So again, kind of convoluted. But if you're like, and if you're like me, and didn't initially realize any of this, you instead will do your system transfer before remembering the backup or the app. Panic that you lost your island uh, days before you know this new Animal Crossing Direct with its big updates and announcements. Manage to on your old Switch re-sign into your old Nintendo account with a new system user profile that then erases your playtime record for Animal Crossing, but luckily keeps the data, reassociate the Animal Crossing save data sitting on your old system with that Nintendo account, and then hopefully maybe I'm afraid to actually go and check enable iCloud backup, or not iCloud, Island Cloud backups, and download them to your new Switch, which is where I'm currently at. I need to see if that actually uploaded and downloaded. But yeah, that that's messy. Like, the fact that half of my impressions of the Switch um, yeah, OLED... You know, you, I'm pretty sure you really, like... You'd like that, just doing all of that. No, actually, I it would was... annoy. It would annoy. I feel like other people would be annoyed, but I'm, I'm sure you thought it was just like part of like the wonderful Nintendo experience. No, no, because I've been spoiled by outside Nintendo. Like, if you buy an iPhone and sign with your Apple ID, stuff just downloads and your day is just there. Like, you have to hold the iPhones together or whatever, but it just works. And I know if you buy an Xbox and sign to your Microsoft account, it's all just there. Especially now that they have obviously XCloud and you can just start streaming before it even downloads. So this just feels archaic, even by Nintendo standards, because it used to be one and done. Like, the 3DS is one and done, the Wii Wii U was one and done. The fact that there's so many layers to this and it's so convoluted is just, like... It didn't ruin the experience by any means. This is all day one thing. But it was just, like, wow. This is, this is like, an hour and a half of work to do when you get the new system versus just doing it in the background. But once you're past... Excuse me. Once you're past that... I was starting to tear up, guys. No, uh, but once you're past that, it's it is pretty smooth sailing, and all the pros I mentioned about the system do come flying back really quick, which does ultimately kind of lead to the question of: Is this OLED switch worth an upgrade? Like, should you do it? And I feel like in the past, with how console cycles used to be, it would just kind of be yes, no. But nowadays, I feel like the answer isn't as binary as it used to be. If that makes sense, because obviously, looming on the oh, yeah, that this one was the clearest one yet because it was you know do you actually even use well it is and it isn't because yeah like if you use it in handheld there's enough yeah yeah, let me hear your why it is yeah yeah so i i feel like the problem is obviously looming on the horizon are always future iterations that maybe do more like yes the screen is great yes the build quality is great but even before the oled model launched Bloomberg was already publishing more reports about how they actually were right. There is a 4K switch. They say 11 separate developers confirmed to them independently. They all have dev kits that output in 4K. Uh, but due to like chip shortages and the pandemic, Nintendo blocked it 
that release. They kicked it all down the road. They're doing the OLED instead. And then hours later, Nintendo made a very rare choice to publicly refute that report and say there is no 4K Switch. And then Zynga, one of the companies cited as having a 4K dev kit and who is currently working on Star Wars Hunters for the Switch, so they do have a Switch dev kit, they put out a statement saying they don't have such a 4K kit, they just have a regular dev kit. And then separately, people discovered that Nintendo, interestingly enough, filed two patents for AI-based upscaling of graphics to 4K, which lines up with the technology that Bloomberg half a year ago reported was going to end up in the 4K Switch that has yet to materialize. All of this is just very reminiscent not of console cycles, but of something we tossed around on the show before, the idea of like iterative updates to existing systems like we see with smartphones. This whole will-they-won't-they they of a 4K Switch really isn't much different these days than the never-ending rumors of what the next iPhone will have. Is Touch ID back? Is that camera bump gone? Is the 120-hertz screen going to happen? And those report, you know, the, the reports come in and out every year, and some are grounded in reality. Some come true. I mean, Kevin, you're sitting there with a 120-hertz screen on your iPhone Pro. Um, so at some point, I bet there will be a 4K switch. I, there definitely was one prototype. Maybe there are dev kits, and whether it comes next year or early 2023, like Bloomberg now seems to kind of think, or, or never, who knows? But this idea that the Switch can be iterated on is what I really think is going to make or break if the OLED model is going to be right for you, because it's like an iPhone upgrade at this point. The older the device you're coming from, the more you're going to get out of this update, assuming you use handheld mode whatsoever. Like for me, I'm coming from a day one launch edition of the Switch. I'm coming from the Switch that has the original battery life capacity. Half of what every Switch sold from, what was it, summer 2019 onward has, you know, when they updated the battery. So for me, it's not only this amazing screen, it's not this better kickstand, it's not stronger speakers and better build quality. It's also essentially double battery life. So I'm playing catch up with something from two years ago, but it makes this very comprehensive package of, of a upgrade that feels almost as big as a 3DS XL was to the 3DS. And, you know, there's obviously no 4K TV support. I would have loved to see that. But this for handheld is still a huge leap if you factor in every little nip and tuck and change they've made since day one of the Switch, which is all here. But if you do have a 2019 revision, if you find that your handheld needs are kind of already met, because maybe you mostly play on your TV, which I think is what you were getting at, Angel, then, hey take another spin around the uh like the switch rumor wheel like the 4k is it gonna happen is it not because like you know or whatever nintendo decides to do next with the hardware because you know this oled model isn't reinventing the system it's just a lot of nice quality of life improvements if the way you use it in your life matches what the improvements are targeted towards so uh, i will say this though if if you have a chance to go uh, to see how good the oled screen actually is take the look I would be very surprised if you're disappointed by it. Like, it's so good. It's surprisingly, like, just, it's, yeah, I was, I did not expect it to be that good. But in terms of whether the system's right for you, it is binary in the sense of if you don't use handheld mode, you don't need it. But if you're using handheld mode on a Switch you bought a year ago, it's a little less compelling than if you're playing on a Switch from 2017 with half the battery life. So, I think we're going to see more of these kind of iterations, too. Like, even if you come from a Switch Lite to this, like, adding TV support and having a much better handheld experience like that makes it this makes it seem like a huge upgrade for you so it, it really it's not as simple as like if you own any switch you upgrade to this if you don't you don't uh you know or whatever it's just kind of like it's interesting because there's always different points of entry just like when you see a new iphone come out now so that's kind of my so assessment. do you think uh, 
these editions or if they do end up doing more? Because, I mean, this is the OLED edition. Yeah. Do you think they would do another, I guess, tweak, but be like, nope, the other one doesn't have an OLED screen because that's for the OLED edition? I like any future... don't think they're going to go backwards in that regard. Um, I think it's... it. It's tricky because I don't know what they would add that justifies taking away the OLED, right? Because, like, you can argue maybe they make a Switch light that has an OLED and doesn't have um, TV mode still. So it doesn't have the dock with LAN and, and whatnot. but And doesn't have the kickstand and whatnot. But I don't know how you justify, if you're Nintendo, hey, here's a Switch that actually has a worse image quality. Because even when they did, like, the 2DS and it looked like a doorstop, like, the screen was still actually pretty good. It was still comparable, if not better, than the screens they used on other 3DSs. So it's hard for them to move backwards visually, I'd say, but it's easier for them to move backwards with features, if that makes sense. Like, because when you look at it side-by-side, it still has to look comparable or else you will feel like you're getting the the lesser product. So right now they are angling this as the premium, which is why you know it has probably the better build quality and why it has that all that like the the kind of high end feel. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if give it a year or so and the regular switch is phased out entirely and you have the light and the OLED as kind of your two. Like I I think I think that's certainly possible because um, it's a fifty dollar difference. So if this is a way for them to kind of you know they start selling it higher. They bring down the price to the price of the old Switch when they phase out the old Switch. They kind of, in a way, they're not doing a price drop, but they're kind of doing a similar you get better value for your money type of move. Because the Switch, outside of a European uh, currency adjustment, has never had a true price drop. So this is kind of a way for them to continue to never have a true price drop if they just sort of rotate things. But but we'll see. Yeah, I don't even know what features it could add outside of 4K, to be honest. But that's for Nintendo to determine, not us, fortunately. So... <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's a lot of my portion of what I've been playing or playing on as the case may be. Um, I do still have Super Monkey Ball to talk about, but I don't want to monopolize our entire what we're playing segment too much here. So do, do you guys want to jump in? I know you've both been doing Knockout City Season 3. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, I mean, Knockout City is on a new season, which is always cool because I was kind of surprised just by how how much effort goes into, like, I guess the theming and even just, like, the animations of the costumes that they put in. And this week's month, however long seasons usually are in Knockout City, is cyber-themed, or hacking. Which, we haven't yeah, seen a hacked. new buff. Hacked? With an at oh, sign okay. in the A, if I'm not mistaken, because it's internet-savvy like that. Yeah, and so far, uh, I mean, it's been pretty fun. We got to play on the new map that is basically a prison. But I guess it's gimmick, unlike um, the last season stage, which was the movie theater area where the whole thing warps. Some people loved it, some people hated it. But this I'm one... in that uh, second camp where I really do not like it. The... Oh yeah, it is aesthetically pleasing, but I could find some of the transformations kind of annoying. But The Hollywood uh, stage? Yeah, I, I, I guess I don't mind it as much. But, yeah, but this one, this prison-looking stage has a gimmick where there are searchlights scattered about. It's not a very open... It doesn't have very much open space except for, like, one big one in the middle. But, as I said, there are these, like, searchlights that if you go under, it will make a turret pop up, which will then immediately start targeting you or auto-locking and fire a cage ball. And, which, you know, it suits the prison theme. In which case, you could just throw the cage ball, 
or well, yeah, try to catch it and throw it at your opponents, or potentially even get hit by it and get trapped yourself. So it's kind of an interesting one in the sense that it seems like balls are basically readily available in most places, but at the same time, yeah, you could tell it was definitely designed with um, that basketball game in mind, which is definitely like yeah, well, it's the new mode. Yeah, which is also pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, it's 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 fun. In in that mode, basically, what happens is, instead of getting a KO, once you um, take down your opponent's two hearts, instead they go into ball form, and then you go to them, uh, catch them, and then there are these rings scattered across the map, where then you shoot them into, and then you score that way. And if you're not fast enough to do it. Uh, your opponents will break out of ball form and replenish one heart. So you're gonna huh. try and do it as fast as you can. It it's cool. It's cool they're leaning in on the um, ball form stuff because I feel like that's something that they said early on. Oh, be strategic. Throw your teammates around in ball form. You know, do that. But I feel like in actual gameplay, it was kind of underutilized the concept. So it's cool out there putting more emphasis on it now. Yeah, every now and then. You know, uh, especially when you need to catch up because, and this is, this is an issue that I have with the game myself personally, but, um, definitely when you, when you need to catch up once, once like your opponent's eight and your team might be like two, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. we might as well go into ball form because there's, there's no point because ball form does get you the, the automatic kill even if they have two hearts. Yep. But, um, yeah. In this, in this it's new mode, though. In this, yeah, in this new mode, it's actually very dangerous for yourself to go into ball form because if you go into ball form and your teammate throws you, you're already in ball form. So your teammates can just throw you into a ring to score. So it's very, very dangerous. Definitely, while before it was very risk reward, it definitely now is way much more of a risk. Mm hmm. Yeah. And. Not to mention you also have, like, the discs themselves are constantly spinning, so there's, like, a small chance, but there is a chance that your opponent can actually miss and hit the rim. Oh, yeah. Resulting in no one getting a point, which is definitely kind of anything, because, you know, like, points are inevitable, but this is, like, the first time that we've had something where there's, like, a chance that they might throw you from far away and, like, oh, cool, nothing happened, which has resulted in games in this mode go into... Well, over time, we're just, like, running out of time altogether. Like, I don't think I've ever had this many games go to the five-minute mark, like, back-to-back. Just because, you know, you have to throw them, you have to hit them twice with the ball, then you have to chase them down and pick them up after the ball, then you have to shoot the ball, and you may not even make it, depending on where you shoot it from. So you kind of have that to deal with. I, that, that's uh-huh. one thing that it sounds like because it might go in overtime less of. That's one thing I actually really appreciate about Knockout City is like Rocket League also does this actually, but having a time limit on your multiplayer match and knowing exactly when it's over. You know, coming from a, the world of of gaming last few years where like Fortnite can go on forever, Apex can go on for a while. Like it, it's nice to have it kind of locked Wait, in. They have their own limits. They have the closing ring. There's yeah, but I mean, like it's it. I don't know. It feels it feels more compact like i feel like pokemon unite does this as well where it's just like a hard like okay you have 10 minutes I, I do what you, you can you like yeah you like that games have shorter time limits yeah it makes it easier to like you know if your team's not doing well you can, can reset sooner and if you are 
doing well, you know, you just get to try and care. I don't know. I just, I think I prefer the like bite size, like compact feeling that some of these have versus like the sprawling, never ending multiplayer of other games. If that makes sense. No, yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah, you ain't got time for that. Well, there's only so much time or whatever you're, whatever you say, Angel, say your catchphrase, do it, do the, do the catchphrase, do the catchphrase. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I, when you guys are really talked about this game, I didn't, uh, really have anything to say about it because I wasn't playing it, but, um, mm-hmm. I'm having this issue. Oh, excuse me. My voice gave out there at the end. I'm having this issue with this game where matches will usually end up incredibly lopsided. Um, where very, very rarely will I have a match go where the two teams, my team and the opponents, are evenly matched. I don't know how, I don't know how you guys have been doing in, in regards to those games, uh, but it's starting to get very annoying for me. Where I, I guess I really play online against Rando. Usually it's just playing in our own group and we usually do a good job of eventually finding like some matches that are really, really right. close. But obviously like, you know, if it's like, myself, Nigel, and like my brother in one team. Things will end differently. But it I I haven't had that experience as much, Kevin. We mm-hmm. um that same group one night it was just three of us, so we actually went online like as a team of three against randoms and we won every game but one, which is the best I've done in an online game and I don't know how long, which was extremely rewarding. But like eight out of ten let's say there were ten, you know, roughly like eighty percent of them were actually quite close within a f- couple points of each other. So maybe we just got luck at the draw. I do know playing solo the few times I had that it's hard to like match with people of similar skill, but at least when we were a team, we were actually pretty strong and it felt pretty balanced. It's this thing where usually I will go into a lobby and I will see three of the same uh, crews and automatically that's like, okay, well, they're playing as a team. And then I will either get... um I will either get two randoms or uh, a pair from the same crew, which sometimes that makes it easier. But at the same time, I feel like this game shouldn't be pairing uh, three randoms against an entire crew. I don't know if that's indicative of the player base. Maybe that's dwindling. Regardless, there there will be then times where we'll be three randoms against a crew and they're not very good. (laughs) <laughs> uh, to the point that we're just destroying them, and that's not that's no fun. While yeah, while it, the feeling might be like, "Damn, we're destroying them." At the end of the day, I'm not getting any sort of challenge. So I, I, I don't know. The they, feeling. I feel like they have to tweak something about the matchmaking. Yeah, I get the feeling based on nothing like tangible. But I get the feeling that they seem to value crews as a concept more than the individual player stats of the crew. Because they make the the street like the form a crew and all that is such a key part of the game. Because I think they they value the fact that communication is so important in terms of who has the ball, who's passing, who, all that. Which you can do with randoms. There is voice chat, but I think they really put emphasis on the crew to the point that when they match make, because again when we were a crew, we were put up against a lot of crews opposed to randoms, and like when me and the two other guys did. And yeah, I just get the weird feeling, like I was saying, that they. Don't necessarily look at individual player stats like your KDR, which is your knockout um, death ratio or things like that, um, 
I feel like they don't look at that when they matchmake. They just kind of go like, who's a crew, and does that crew tend to win or lose, and then just kind of toss them out there, which isn't, to your point, Kevin, enough if you're trying to jump in by yourself and do something. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, uh, kind of whack. It's great when you're playing with friends, though. Oh, sure, absolutely. Uh, when you're when you're playing as a crew, yeah, it's really fun. But I don't know. I there are times where I just like you know playing by myself and yeah, no, totally, totally. Getting pup stomped is pretty annoying, and it's happening more than frequently. Whether I oh. be on the receiving end or giving it. Yeah, I was gonna say like. Does it actually also bother you when you completely destroy another team, or you don't mind that? Oh, no, yeah, it bothers me. Like, sure, it's fun going 10-0, and 0, but like I said, I'm not being challenged at all. Like, put me with somebody who has around my same, you know, KDR. And, you know, maybe maybe sometimes, yeah, you're playing against somebody who absolutely doesn't know how to play. But even then, that's like... It's like if I, it's like if me and you were to play Smash Ultimate, where you're just going to destroy me no matter what. It's like, is that really fun for you? Pretty even. I mean, that's how that's how it always goes down when I. It's play definitely not Smash. fun for me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I'm. That it's exactly that. It's like, oh okay. Yeah. Angel's not really getting a challenge out of it, and I'm not having any fun being destroyed by this Bowser who just kills you in three hits. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. That, that's yeah, it's reasonable. It's it's you know. And that's something that can make or break a game ultimately because if enough people feel how you feel, Kevin, and decide to only play knockout in private matches or never play again because they maybe don't have the opportunity for private matches, that will ultimately hurt the player base and then this, it perpetuates the problem among people who previously didn't have it because now they're stuck in that situation and it's kind of like a downward spiral from there. So it, it can make or break it. I get, I get that for sure. So it'll be interesting to see where the player base goes, I guess. Or yeah. hopefully they fix it. <laughs> That's the ideal, right? Mm, well, we'll see. Uh, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm still having loads of fun, especially the games where I am evenly matched with another team. That's great. That really feels like, oh, man, I can't wait to see some esports for this game. But uh, on a personal on a personal note, it's like, uh, it's so annoying. Like, just getting destroyed or destroying the other team. Mm-hmm. You just need to just tweak it a little bit. You, you be, and I were actually talking right. about something you just said before we started recording, Kevin, which is the idea that is there potential for this to be an eSport? Because, like, EA is trying so hard to build an audience for this day. I mean, it's part of EA Play. It was free with Amazon Prime Gaming last month. Like, they're really, you know, they do the up, free up to level 20, and then there's not really, like, traditional gotcha stuff that requires money. Like, they're doing everything they can to grow the player base. I wonder if, I do wonder if there is opportunity in the future for this to have a league or do something bigger than just kind of what it is now. The potential is there. Yeah, put it put it on the put it on the main stage of Evo. That'd be sick. <laughs> yeah, just now that uh, it seems like Evo and Smash have parted ways in some level, throw Knockout City there instead. Easy. Yeah, main event, yeah. the grand finale done. Yeah, doesn't be cool to watch in a competitive setting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there's there's something there. Oh, uh, the best uh, games are absolutely where um, you go up to somebody. And it's just you versus them and your teammates and their teammates will recognize like, oh, this is their fight. We are not going to interject here. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have had that in like public matches, but those are like really cool because usually, it's just you and this other person going back and forth for an entire minute before somebody gets knocked out. 
usually for me when those happen it's not because my teammates are like oh we're gonna give jason this moment it's because my teammates don't notice that i might botch the moment <laughs> but uh no it, it when you get that volley going and you're passing back and forth and like the ball's charging up like between you and opponent it, yeah it, it can get really intense it's fun yeah like i said season three i mean we didn't really talk too much about the season itself but uh I mean, yeah, well, so what's the so what's the hack? Well, yeah, angle? I mean, right now it's just the stage and some of the aesthetic. But what? So is hack just an aesthetic, or is it a gameplay change? No, there's absolutely no gameplay changes. It's literally okay. just an aesthetic change. Okay. Uh, they didn't introduce a new ball or anything like that. They did keep the uh, the Hollywood map, which I thought was interesting. I thought they would have taken that out of rotation, but um, yeah, I didn't notice before if the first. Well, I only started with the the Hollywood um, at the movie season, but. I didn't, uh, I didn't know if there was a battle pass, and it definitely is more in your face this time if there wasn't last season. There definitely wasn't one. This is a new thing. Okay, uh, so, so yeah, that's so, the new feature. Okay, so they added unquote. a battle pass. There you go. Uh-huh. Now, is that paid for? Separately? Or is it, Uh, like... yeah. Oh, that's, uh, okay. So, so much for my point I about mean... how they, like, do monetization up front, and there's no, like, gotcha system. I mean, b- battle pass is not a gotcha system, but... Looks like they're trying to squeeze some extra money out of it now. I mean, yeah. What what place? What game doesn't do a battle pass? The the True. only one that I know that does a free battle pass was um the Bean Game. What, uh, Fall, I forgot what Fall it's called. Guys. The, uh, Fall, Fall Guys. Guys. Yeah, that's the Which... only that's the only game that I know for a fact has a free battle pass. Um, Which by the I'm way, sure, what's the the currency in this game is like Hollow Bucks or whatever. Yeah, Hollow Bucks. I'm sure you can. Uh, use whatever hollow bucks you have saved up for the battle pass i wouldn't be surprised unless they specifically make it where you have to pay ten dollars and not a thousand hollow bucks or whatever whatever the exchange rate is which by the way where is fall guys it's supposed to be on switch during the summer they said it was slightly delayed i grant it was slightly in the fall no it's not out oh wow yeah the xbox one was also delayed this isn't just a switch problem but like i wonder what happened there uh, COVID probably. Yeah, most likely. Which actually is also kind of responsible on some level for um, Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania, which when we get to once we're done with Knockout City, was developed apparently entirely remotely during COVID, which is kind of interesting. Oh. But I don't know if you guys have anything else about Knockout well, City before I jump back to Yeah, uh, no, it's it's more Knockout City. It's always a good thing. For sure. For sure. That's um, all I got. Angel, I don't know about you. Oh yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, still fun. Still gonna keep playing it for sure. Don't really see it running out of steam anytime soon, but we will see. Yeah, I think we we have the good advantage that we have like a big group of friends that play it. But yes, it, time will tell if it if it starts to feel older if they are able to innovate in other ways, like kind of how they did. Not even innovate, but add in other ways, kind of like how they did the superhero mode mid season a couple weeks ago. So. But definitely, definitely, we say it every time, definitely worth checking out Knockout City. Even though I've yet to try Season 3, but based on everything else, yeah. Um, So I guess now back to me for Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania. And let me just say right up front here, they screwed up Monkey Target. All I've wanted in the two decades of this franchise is for Sega to once again recapture the magic of the original game's Monkey Target. Like, I, I made the joke on Twitter, but it's true. Part of the monkey ball lineage these past 20 years is the simple fact that they can never get monkey target right in the sequels. Banana Mania is a remake in part of the original Super Monkey Ball that contained the original monkey target, so it kind of felt like, at long last, here's a chance for them to return the mode to form. 
And uh, I don't even think it'd be possible for them not to get Monkey Target as we knew it. And yet, here we are. Monkey Target's broken. Now, this in of itself isn't necessarily a deal maker or breaker for Banana Mania as a package, but Monkey Target has always been my personal favorite mode of the series. Did, did you guys ever play Monkey Target much? I know, Angel, you and I have a couple yeah, times. Yeah, just with you one. So for once, I can actually say, it's like, yeah, Jason is pretty proficient at Monkey Target, so if he's actually talking about the mechanics not feeling right, I would actually believe him. Yeah, for once, I know what I'm talking about. We say after 265 episodes of me talking about things. Yep, good. <laughs> but Kevin, have you uh, have you played Monkey Target? Uh, yeah, I've played Monkey Target but I'm also an idiot, so I never understood how it actually worked. <laughs> okay, so let, let me explain it then, um, how it's supposed to work and then what happened in Banana Mania. And this is also a good like little cheat sheet for folks who have never tried it to feel my pain and understand my plight. So the premise is simple at base value. You launch your monkey in the air, in a ball, off a ramp, said ball opens and becomes essentially a paraglider, you glide your aforementioned monkey strapped to his ball glider to targets on islands and try to land in the highest point zones. And also factors as you do this are wind conditions that may sway your monkey one way or another, uh, ops, uh, obstacles that can randomly be inserted if you turn on the wheel of death. Uh, some aren't too bad like fog. Others are a bit trickier like sp- spike bombs you have to avoid. Some even help you like double bananas would give you extra points. But that that's the core of it. It's just rounds of that all contributing to a total high score with different island layouts to fly to in each round. It is simple enough in premise, but Sega has never quite gotten it right after the first game, and I'm just very surprised and disappointed that somehow they didn't do it right here either. Like, honestly... Yeah, like, honestly, the mode just feels like a weird third-party knockoff of Monkey Target. Like, I went back and watched some footage of the original on GameCube, and I, I don't know. This this one just feels more, like, sterile. It feels kind of janky. Like, the ramp has view obstructions as you roll down that the original didn't. Like, I don't know why they would do that. The water actually somehow looks worse than in the GameCube one. It even, like, lacks the personality of small touches. Like, there used to be a blimp flying in the background with, like, a Dole logo. They've taken out all the Dole product placement, but there's no blimp. Where's the blimp? But, Kevin, to your thing about not knowing how it works, the problem here is more than just that it looks kind of off, is the physics don't make sense anymore. So the way you used to maintain airtime uh, with your monkey is you time when to launch the ball and open it, and then you sort of like, not exactly bob and weave, but you you kind of have to control your pitch and yaw. It goes really fast, like it just goes, and then you kind of have to like stabilize your monkey as you go, um, kind of bobbing a bit. Here, well, first of all, there's not even the sense of speed. Like, monkey target moves fast normally. This one's slow. But also here, weirdly, when you open the ball, which you now have to do later, you wait till it starts falling, um, you then kind of tilt back on the control stick the tiniest amount, like just a hair, and then that just kind of stabilizes you, and you, like, very slowly get to the target if you're lucky. Because too much, and you lose all your momentum and fall into the water. Too little, and you lose all your momentum and fall into the water. Like, it's just, you literally just hold the stick back, and then he just kind of floats there slowly. And it's just, I don't know, it's just so different. And, like, the game doesn't explain this difference in mechanic. I I figured it out by reading other people's comments online, because I thought I was crazy, and maybe I forgot how to play monkey ball. But for once, it's not me. It's You know that me, like, is it me or is it the children? For once, it's neither. It's it's Sega. Sega screwed up. But it just feels kind of like, I don't know, it just feels unreliable compared to the old system and kind of broken. And it just is a 
bummer because I really thought this was the moment. Monkey Target was back in HD. Like people could come play it on the nice big TV and my GameCube's still hooked up but it looks really stretched on a, you know, 55-inch TV or whatever. Um, so yeah, Monkey Target was a bit of a de- uh, letdown and it's perhaps the most egregious example of what's going on with, Monkey, uh, with Banana Mania but there are other instances where things are just slightly off. Like in the monkey fight mini game, where you literally just whack people with giant boxing gloves to knock them off a stage in like a top down perspective. I noticed you can no longer move and punch at the same time. Why? I have no clue, but it kind of drastically changes the mode. Even in the main game, where you, you know, you're just trying to slide a stage around to roll your monkey to a goal, like I, I couldn't help but notice the perspective felt different. And sure enough, I went and read some interviews and it's actually more zoomed in the camera. Uh, than it was in Monkey Ball 1, 2, and Deluxe. So they borrowed the camera from Banana Blitz HD, which is the one we got on uh, Switch a couple years ago, and then they sort of just slapped that camera system on top of levels that were designed for the more zoomed-out perspective of 1, 2, and Deluxe. Uh, so there's a lot of oddities about this, but if you zoom out for a sec, there are probably a whole host of reasons for how this all came to be. You know, I mentioned that they developed it remotely entirely in COVID, which that's a feat in of itself, to be fair. And also, I think because everything's being recreated in the Unity engine, instead of them using their old in-house Monkey Ball engine that's then up into HD or whatever, that also is probably a part of the problem because they um, had to essentially recreate everything as best they could versus remaster what they already had. And whatever the reason is, I'm not like excusing it, but if you can, but if you can get past it, like it's just this exists, this is how it is. But if you can get past that does become incredibly apparent that, you know, figuring out how to make it fit an engine that was assigned to them aside, the developers put a lot of love and care into Banana Mania, and, like, they really tried to make the best package they could, and there's a lot to like here, because at its core, it is a remake of Super Monkey Ball Deluxe, which in of itself is sort of a remixing of the first two Super Monkey Ball games. Um, I feel like that game... I feel like Deluxe wasn't played by nearly as many people as its standalone source material, me being one of them, but um, it actually did a number of things differently from 1 and 2, so it, they're remaking something that's kind of like a spin on what you may be familiar with. Um, namely, it rearranged all the level layouts from both games into kind of this crisscross sets of worlds that are loosely tied together by a story of, what's their villain's name? Doctor, oh yeah, Doctor uh, Badboon. That that's yep, that's his name, and he's stealing monkeys' bananas, and you kind of chase him from world to world. It's very Donkey Kong Country in that regard, uh, and cool, you know, mixing it up like that keeps it fresh. I I as much as I love in Monkey Ball One when you get to the second set of levels, it's always that cool diner theme. No game does a theme based on fifties diners, so that was cool. But I don't always need to see it at level number eleven, so it is kind of nice that they shuffle things a bit. Um, the downside is the difficulty does feel a little more scattershot as a result of the shuffling. Like, they intermix some pretty easy courses and some pretty tricky ones in almost kind of a haphazard way at times. But uh, for the most part, the, the shuffle works pretty well. And um, then it becomes apparent that the way... You know, if you dig deeper into the game, it becomes apparent that basically what they did is they took what worked well in Deluxe. They took the changes in Deluxe, and then they just kind of elevated them. So one thing that changed in Deluxe is they removed the life system within sets of levels along with the uh, corresponding banana bonus stages used to use to collect bananas to up your life count. So how it used to be is when a hard level would boot you back to the start of a set previously, you know, if you lost enough lives, here you just kind of keep going. So the developers figured out, okay, well, if you're just kind of going, what do you do for replayability? Like, obviously, no lies means you don't need to redo sets of levels if you die. So how do you get folks to keep revisiting the 300 stages of the game? Well, they already encourage you to nab every banana, 
in Deluxe, so now they're also stacking that with a layer of achievements to complete per level, and online leaderboards per level. Or if you look at the challenge mode, they've now expanded the idea of a challenge to other sorts of uh, things. They've kind of shaken up levels in other ways. So in addition to the core challenge mode that was in the old one, they now have a reverse stage mode. They have a dark banana mode where you need to avoid touching rotten bananas instead of collecting them, which really adds some challenge on levels that already require precise movement. So they kept kind of kept coming up with all these different ways to sort of take what Deluxe did and just double, triple, quadruple down on it. In terms of quadrupling, like the cast in this game, I mean, Deluxe went from like four to six or something like this. Here, Sega just went all in with character crossovers that, you know, we've been talking about for a few episodes leading into this episode. Um, and, and that too even has its own gameplay loop of sorts because Banana in, uh, Mode introduces a point shop in which everything you do earns you points that can then be accumulated and spent. So the missions you complete in per level, collecting the bananas, the uh, being a level without failing one time, all that gets you points that then get you some of these characters. And it doesn't stop there either. They added like accessibility features, um, like there's a helper if you get stuck, there's a slow-mo option, there's the ability to bring back the jump feature from Banana Blitz HD. They've added a photo mode that is actually kind of similar to Mario Odyssey's and it lets you even change like the monkey's facial expression. They made an entirely separate set of online leaderboards for the uh, 12 party games, some of which are slightly different riffs than if you play them in local multiplayer, like um, Monkey Target. For the online leaderboards, they use Monkey Ball 2's formation option, which means you're actually flying five monkeys at once to rack up the most points possible. Again, it has the weird physics, so it's not like it fixes monkey target, but you know, it's, it's a nice little riff if you want to try and do online competition, uh, at least in leaderboard form. They, you know, included, uh, cheat codes, which like games don't do anymore. Like there's a cheat code on the home uh, the home screen the menu screen that if you like press a certain button combo it'll change the theme music and like well if anyone's playing Monkey Ball and wants that cheat code we'll link to it in the blog post for this episode but my point is like they went as far in as they could they went like above and beyond in any way they could like cheat codes you know and that's not to mention the time attack mode or how incredibly stylish and yellow the menus are and the interfaces are like they really pop on the OLED switch by the way um, or, you know, how they offer the entire original soundtrack as a $5 DLC download, or if you bought the game's digital deluxe edition for $50, it came bundled with that soundtrack along with classic character skins of all the characters, how they looked in the original Monkey Ball, or if you're like me and bought the physical anniversary edition uh, for $40, it came with a neat art book that highlights every entry in the series, even that weird Wii balance board one. Like, the point is... There's no shortage of content here for a $40 game. Like, they left no stone unturned. They even went as far to kind of smash bros itself out with, you know, unlocks and DLC of other Sega characters and, oddly enough, Hello Kitty. And, like, like they really tried to make this feel like a celebration of Monkey Ball and a fully comprehensive Monkey Ball experience. So as long as you go in knowing this isn't quite the Monkey Ball you knew, you know, the physics are a little different. Monkey Target's basically a lost cause without a patch. Perhaps some of the polish of the earlier Monkey Balls is missing due to what I assume is budget constraints or side effects of developing remotely. I don't know. But if you go in knowing all that and are willing to accept that, it's still a fun time. It's still a fun celebration of Monkey Ball. I want to make the pun. You can maybe still have a ball with it, but I'm going to restrain myself by didn't because I just said it. But anyway, yeah, no, it's it's still an enjoyable package at 40 bucks. It's just a lot of disclaimers you need to know going into it. So that's kind of where I'm at with Monkey Ball. I haven't even played all the 12 party games and obviously haven't gotten through all 300 levels, but just as I've continue diving in these are kind of the takeaways at this point so so that's monkey ball it's it's not it's maybe in a way 
a true monkey ball experience in that it can't reach the highs of the game that started at all but it, it's probably the closest they come in a while in many ways so yeah is that a little ball? disappointing what? the, the yes. series is always going to be chasing that high yeah and which makes you know which oh, makes well, a celebration well, sure of the people, series this, this chasing the high sports, makes sense but what no, no yeah never mind yeah it no i agree that like yeah it's it's the, the first one was so good, and I think it hit at just the right moment. Because there are even little things I didn't mention. Like, if you look at the first game, when you win a level, I remember when I was a kid, I was like, whoa, like they dropped the confetti down and stuff. And I was like, whoa, that's like pieces of confetti. Like, it wasn't, I was like, look at the GameCube's graphics. Like, it wasn't just like an overlay of like, you know, like a single stock image or a single thing that animated a single way. They're like individual pieces of confetti. They fell differently. And I was like, wow, the power of the GameCube. This one goes back to just like one clip art thing of Confei that keeps playing over and over. Like it's the exact – it's not like particle rendering like it was before. So like even little things like that, like I think just the, the amount of attention Sega is willing to give the franchise and kind of the money they're willing to pour in. I wouldn't say they're cutting corners because the Confei thing's so minor. But, you know, you notice. Like it's, it's not as high on the totem pole of Sega as it was. So they're doing what they can with the resources they have, but definitely corners were cut. Yeah. So, and I know the confetti thing's the most petty little thing to point out, but it kind of embodies it, I think. So anyway, I did mention Smash Bros. Um, when saying that they're kind of become it's doing a Smash Bros. thing, and as we turn to the news, here we go. Playing, yep, there's really no bigger story. Let's be honest. In the Nintendo world, these past two weeks, news story. Obviously, Metroid and the OLED Switch are stories, but there's no bigger new news in the past two weeks than Sora. And here we are on a podcast with a guy who's super into Smash Bros, and a guy who's super into Kingdom Hearts. So I feel like I need to shut up and just let you two talk about this, at least at the start. So, like, what what did you guys think of Sora finally being here? Um, disappointed and indifference. That's, that's kind of, that, that would kind of sum up my impressions on Sora as a character being in Smash Brothers. Um, stepping away from that, <laughs> um, I think it's I think it's a great character to end uh, Fighter Pass on. Um, definitely glad it's not like a first party. Glad it's um, someone that a lot a lot of people wanted. So like I'm honestly like just happy about it. In, I'm happy about it overall. But personally, like yeah, I was like I, I watched the announcement live with some friends and my stream was a little ahead of theirs and so and we and we all knew that so i was like all right i'm, I'm gonna i'm not gonna say who it is that way you can you know get that reaction yeah like genuinely but since i got to see it first like as soon as i you know you see the key and like the the mickey symbol and stuff like the first thing that comes out of my mouth is like ah oh, really like pretty much like that and you know, they hear that and they're like, "Oh, what? Did we get a Fire Emblem character? What did we get?" Like, <laughs> they were they were already like, I like how they all default to and, Fire Emblem as, "Oh no." <laughs> and they're both like huge Kingdom Hearts people, so you know they were losing their minds. They were doing all that, and so you know, like it's so it's so cool how that a lot of people are happy. But you know, like, like we've said many many times, and I think like we've all said this. Um, yeah, like we're already way past the the characters that I would have really wanted. To get in mm-hmm. the game, like yeah, so I don't think they could have put anything in there that wouldn't just make that would probably would only just make me happy, but it's just not plausible. So I don't. This was the best choice they could have done, honestly. Um, but yeah, 
just as a choice, personally, yeah. That kind of indifferent. Kevin. It's another sword fighter for me that looks annoying to fight. <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin, you must your your Kingdom Hearts person, did you freak out like his friends did? Uh no, so <laughs> Wow, that was very from, flat. Okay. <laughs> uh, excuse me. So from like a fighter announcement perspective, uh, I'm same with Angel. Uh I am a little mixed. Uh, I think it's an alright choice. I'm absolutely happy for the people that have wanted him in the game since forever. I mean, like, Sakurai even said it himself. Mm-hmm. That Sora was the most requested character back when, like, Smash 4 was released. Um, and I, I was a little surprised because I didn't think that he'd be in after Sephiroth was included. I think I even said it on this podcast that when Sephiroth was announced, that, to me, killed any chance that he'd be in there. So, I mean, yeah, I was a little surprised that it was him. Um, but th- like that being said, I I've always thought that Sora would have been a good addition, and I mean, yeah, what better way to to finally include him than as the, the last fighter for this for this game? That being said, I'm sure that the reason that he's the last fighter is because they had to go through some legal hell to get him uh, included. Yep. yep. Um. Yeah. So. It's- I'm happy for, for everybody, like, like Angel said. I personally would have wanted somebody a little bit more out of left field mm-hmm. because. Oh, my voice. Um, you're right. Uh, yeah, I would have preferred somebody, <laughs> somebody a little bit more out of left field. I know there was always those, those rumblings that, like, the Doom Slayer would be his own character, not just a me costume or, uh, like Master Chief, and while I never believed Master Chief, that definitely would have blown my mind a little bit more than a Sora mm-hmm. announcement. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know what fighter at this point would have blown my mind. Nothing has come close to Joker being announced, and, like, that might be bias, but, come on, like, to everybody, that announcement came out of nowhere. It, yeah. Well, ah, see what you did there. Is that something from the game? Came out of nowhere? Anyway. No, no, I, no I, that, it's, you'll, you'll never see, you'll it, never see coming. it coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, nobody, nobody ever saw that coming. Uh, yeah. Say what you will about Sora, everybody it wanted surprise, him. It was the first surprise, but yeah, there you go. Um, and like, like Angel said, he, it's not a sword, but a keyblade. So it's an, just another sword fighter. But like, yeah, overall, I like that he's finally being included. Sure. The irony of the most requested character in the game actually also being an anime sword fighter <laughs> go figure um yeah i think i think uh well first of all you made an interesting point about you know the hell they had to go through to, with disney to get to this point and it's glaring how little disney itself wanted to do with this like sure we got the mickey ears in the on the keyblade but like they swapped out like stag background artwork in the uh hollow bastion stage that would normally show disney characters for like a wooden toy boat <laughs> like they they removed every hint of Disney. I think the funniest example is like even when Sakura is doing his presents presentation, he's like, "Oh, we're not going to show you the Final Smash because we want to surprise you." Which of course made me and probably a lot of people go, "Oh, that Disney's going to show up." We're going to see Goofy, Donald, yeah, they Mickey. Go on to show it twice. Yeah, and then ten minutes later twice. they show it twice, and it's just it was the, in the trailer like that they picked out that they intended. Like if it was an accident that he used it during the playthrough, it's like then well, it, it was it, just and it can't be an accident because they pre-recorded it. Someone would be like, hey, Sakurai. Yeah, no, it was just, it was silly, but it seemed like they're building towards, oh, we're going to have Disney, and then again, there was no Disney. It just made it more obvious that there was no Disney. It seems like it must have been a mistake, because it wasn't, 
didn't really read as a joke or anything. It sounded kind of sincere, and it ended up making the Final Smash feel underwhelming for people that don't play Kingdom Hearts. So here, it was super. That as, as, uh, no, as somebody who who has played most ninety five percent of that series, that, that Final Smash is super underwhelming. It's so whack. I don't understand what it really has to do with the series itself. Do you guys want to uh, hear a conspiracy theory that I've seen online? Like, put on your tinfoil hats here. Um, we didn't see the full Final Smash is what some people are arguing. I don't believe this myself, but they're claiming... No, no shot. That, that That's the Final Smash. <laughs> they're claiming I, I, there's a middle piece. Those people are showing. huffing some, some copium. Yes, I know. They are I know, on some copium. Yeah, no shot. It feels as long as a normal Final Smash. Yeah, no, it, it totally is. I was just saying that there are people that believe that there's a middle piece missing where the Mickeys and the Donalds and the Goofies will all show up, so... I doubt it. Considering again that they took out artwork of Disney characters from generic artwork from the game. Yeah. Yeah. People are really grasping at stuff. Like I know people have been pointing out, like, oh, I saw like a question mark on the Nintendo home screen under Sora. What does that mean? Does that mean we're gonna get another character? Oh God. I mean, you know what the thing that kind of bothers me about that is is like, I mean, first of all, I've never played a Kingdom Hearts game myself personally, so like Sora didn't mean all that much to me. But just from the perspective, and you guys kind of already touched on this, of like the ultimate form of fan service, like what do people want after this? Like you have to hand it to Nintendo. Like I feel like the consensus among fans always was like Sora could happen if they could get it to happen. And it felt like, you know, maybe that ship sailed. Like Smash 4, like maybe could have pulled it off because they had a really good relationship with Disney and Nintendo, like between Disney and Nintendo back then. Like, the Wii era had Epic Mickey and all the co-marketing, and Disney Infinity was taking off on Wii U at the time. Obviously, it didn't show up. It took, you know, six years and tons of contract negotiating. But, like, if you look at the fact that Disney did this, or Nintendo got Disney to do this six years after the fact, and if you look at everything that they've done in the last, like, tail end of Smash up to, uh, Ultimate support here, like, I feel like people kind of overlooked in the tail end, and maybe they realize it now, you know, like, Thank You Sakurai was trending and things like that, but, um... Everyone's complaining they want this fighter or that fighter or this or next thing or there must be one more or this can't be it or there has to be a final smash, you know, tinfoil hat off that we haven't seen. Like, Nintendo's been listening to you guys very closely. These, like, for years people said they want a Doom Slayer or Doom Guy or whatever you want to call him. And yeah, he's not a fighter. He's a me costume, but he showed up. Nintendo listened. I guarantee he wouldn't have showed up if people weren't saying that for years. They did the same with Travis Touchdown. They did the same with Dante. They did it with Shantae. They did it with Gino back in the day. Like, say what you will about the final roster or how you personally feel about Sora, and I think all three of us are kind of on the same page about Sora, or even about how Nintendo doesn't support the competitive scene or how, you know, they don't support the modding scene or whatever. Say what you will about that. But I think it's impossible to deny that they didn't have their ear to the ground about all the character stuff and people's wants and dreams and tried to do right by the fans as best as they could within the legal confines of what they were told they can do. Like, now that Smash is wrapped and you, like, look back at it, it I feel like it was more of a two-way street than a lot of fans give it credit for as it was unfolding. And, you know, stuff like, oh, well, he can't be the final character. There has to be one more. Like, this wasn't good enough. It's just like, guys, they spent six years on and off, presumably, negotiating with Disney. They managed to pluck Sora out of the Disney parts of it and just give you Sora, which is the best they could do, but they did it. Like, chill. Just chill. And I appreciate that people you know, understood that Sakurai and his team were working with what they had. And, you know, like I said, thank you, Sakurai was training and people respected that. So, like, ignoring the specific fire choice and all that, it's incredible what a run the game had and what his team was able to do and the practical 
like the practically inhuman feat of pulling off an 80 plus character roster with all those crazy stats you spouted off during the presentation you know like 116 stages 200 plus items what was it 1100 songs or something like that it's insane scope but just like guys relax like there's not another fighter just let it be you got so much and I think a lot of people don't like step back and realize just how much they got through what they wanted like it wasn't like Nintendo just out of the blue it was like yeah Dante, Shante, and Travis touchdown. Like, fans put it in through the ballot. Fans talked about it online. Nintendo put in the effort. Like, a little credit where it's due there. You know? And just wait until those people see how scaled back the next Nintendo fighter is going to be. That's the thing. Because, yeah. Like, I think, yeah. I can't yeah. imagine we'll ever see another game come close in terms of, like, in general. Truly what yeah. an event for the whole industry Ultimate was. I mean,. We had Nintendo, Microsoft, Sega, Capcom, Konami, Namco, uh, Square Enix, you know, all of them side by side. Plus, I mean, even Snake being in there kind of gives it a little Sony flavor, even though. (laughs) Yeah. He was, you know, off of Nintendo. Yeah, but but it just just felt like a really, like a once in a generation type of moment or series of moments with all these reveals. And, like, I'm glad we got to be part of the ride. And I'm glad the ride ended up being as responsive to what fans wanted as it was. But, like,. Like, even one of my friends, he texted me, like, oh, God, another anime fighter. And I'm like, dude, like, this was the single most requested thing fans wanted. Like, it's not going to please everyone, but Nintendo put in the effort. Disney's a pain. <laughs> so, it's like, I don't know. Like, I think some people, like, there's a lot of positivity around it. And personally, we can be like, whatever about it. I feel the same way as you guys. But just, like, the folks that are like, no, there has to be more. There, there doesn't. There does not have to be more. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm honestly looking forward to whatever comes in the future. Even if it's not Smash Brothers, just, like... Whatever fighting game, it's whatever form it takes shape next. Yeah, I mean, hopefully Sakurai takes a break. Isn't involved and just gets to <laughs> take a break. But like, I'm looking forward to like a smaller roster with ideally completely redesigned main characters. Because honestly, like, I would get just excited a single Mario Bowser. Like all the main, the old mainstays was a completely new move set. Mm-hmm. Like just because you know we've been seeing Mario use those same B moves for like. Two over two decades. It's like it's getting something new. Yeah, yeah. I think I feel like a soft reboot. Is I mean, kind of just the compare to... the new characters versus like the old characters. Like they're different games at that point. Well, interestingly, like, the Sora has compared to like anyone that came out in Melee. Although it's funny because Sora to me, I don't know if, if maybe I'm misreading the character though. And obviously, we'll play him um, on the 18th when he comes out and have impressions next episode. But I got the feeling that that Sora and his stage were almost kind of like a back to the basics type of character. I mean, sure, he has those magic attacks you touched, you know, that Sakurai touched on, and you can um, Did you see his rotate between. Game? He's like Bayonetta 2.0. No, but I mean, like his core moves seem more straightforward than some of the other DLC guys. And draw a lot from existing fires. Like, he's Bayonetta 2.0, he has a counter from another character. Like, it just seems like... And, like, the press release even described it as intuitive, which, like... I don't remember them ever describing a DLC fire as intuitive in the press release. Like, it just seems like they're trying to kind of have this all-inclusive fighter at the end that isn't scaled back in scope, but just is a little, like, easier to grasp, I guess. Even his stage, like, it's pretty straightforward. It's just a floating platform with a platform and some backgrounds. Like... By Smash, crazy end of Smash standards, this does almost feel like kind of a scaling back to basics, sort of. Unless you think I'm totally misreading it. I definitely don't agree. Okay, that's fair. Um, I mean, he's just, he just doesn't have a, I guess, a 
bar gimmick. That's about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, and he kind of does because he has the rotating magic, but it's not quite. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. I mean, I would say the rotating magic itself is like it's definitely like a nice balance between, I guess, like hero and like some other character that just gets like crazy B moves. Because I mean, some of those are pretty nutty, but I mean, he has to rotate between them. Not to mention, he has basically infinite airtime with like his being able to side B multiple times after up being, and not to mention that like. Pretty much landing any hit with a result in a three-hit combo, whether it's in the air or the ground, making it like, yeah, he, he seems kind of a nightmare to fight. <laughs> Bayonetta already does kind of all those things, and she's already like, no matter how good you are, she is just not fun. Like, like the game literally becomes not fun to play when you're playing as Bayonetta. Is she, is she banned from competitive play? No, she, she's not broken. She just oh, makes, okay, gotcha, she just gotcha. makes the game boring. I see, I see what you're saying. Because it's kind of like fighting Sonic because. It feels like there's a very little engagement because she could attack you while remaining safe from any attacks from you. And you pretty much have to, like, chase after her. She has literally zero reason to ever approach you. And if she hits you, she gets, like, incredibly high reward for basically very little risk. Same thing with Sonic. Mm-hmm. You could just kind of, like, zip back and forth. Like, I, it's ironic that the fastest character in the game usually results in the slowest matches that usually end up in timeout. Just because, you know, he just has to zip in there, hit you, zip out. And this is kind of how Bayonetta is. Sora, luckily, doesn't seem to kill. At least have the luxury of, like, zipping in and out. But he does seem to have just, like, a lot of the the same kind of retreating nuances that do make those kind of characters annoying. I'm sure, but, conversely, they are really fun to play. So, you know, that's all that matters at the end. Have fun. Doesn't matter if you're making your opponent, like, punch their couch or something. (laughs) That's all that matters. Yeah. No, I I agree with that uh, that idea, given, you know, what we were talking before about Knockout City and the lack of challenge or being challenged. And, yeah, I play you at Smash pretty much whenever we hang out, or at least used to, and I I always lost, but it's still fun. That's all that really matters. Um, But you did, Um, Angel, touch on... If I may interject. Yes, you may. I think... We, we've already talked about his specific announcement. From a Kingdom Hearts fan, I think he looks amazing. Um, seeing how they adapted his skill. So, so from the trailer, they obviously wanted to hit upon some nostalgia. So they used the Kingdom Hearts one model of Sora. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but there, and oh my god. They included the skins from KH2, from KH3, and they even included uh, the Timeless River skin from Kingdom Hearts 2 when you go into the uh, Steamboat Willy world. That, like, hyper-stylized, hyper yeah, like, really yeah. cartoon. Yeah, that one was cool. Yeah, looks, I even never played the game. I was like, oh, Steamboat Willy, that's an awesome nod. Like, that was cool. Yeah, so from a Kingdom uh, fan perspective, that's... Uh, it's awesome. I recognized so many of his moves that were on display. So, like, his three-hit combo is ripped straight from the game and looks exactly how it would look like both when you're in the air and when you're on the ground. Um, Like, the, he has the aerial sweep as well and the sonic blade. And when you do the sonic blade, you even get, like, the little lock-on reticle that you would get in the game. That was super awesome to see. But, like, even some of his smash moves look exactly like some of his abilities. Like, I'm pretty sure that his slap shot move from the first Kingdom Hearts is, like, his side smash attack 
it's and I was like, oh, uh, it it was that that uh that Leo meme where like you po- he points at the screen from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, I did yeah, that yeah, so yeah. many yeah. times. <laughs> I'm actually not too crazy that they chose Hollow Bastion as the stage. Um, it is cool that they added like the the landscapes to the game, like in the background, and that definitely brought back memories of like traversing that that area of that uh of that world. But I feel like they could have chosen a much more visually appealing area. I personally think that like Traverse Town from the first game would have been cool, or even Twilight Town from the second game would have been much cooler and much more like visually stunning. But I do like that eventually the stage does turn into um dive into the heart, that like area where you have those stained glass portraits of the characters in the background. Where Simple and Clean would have been playing. Oh, as far as the music goes, really solid choices. Weird that they are locking one of the tracks uh behind a a save file. Like you have to have Melody of Memory on your Switch so that you get um crap what was dearly beloved and like not even like classic dearly beloved um like it's like the swing version i mean classic dearly beloved wouldn't wouldn't work at all um and uh it's an absolute travesty that they don't have any form of any of the yutaro hikaru themes from the games i'm sure it was out of their hands because those songs just don't belong to square enix i'm sure they belong to whoever yutaro recorded them with but man, I wish they could have at least included the simple and clean orchestral version that they used for the reveal trailer, because that song, I feel, works perfect in like a with any Smash stage. Honestly, it's just so epic, and uh, I I love that orchestral arrangement that they use for simple and clean. I'll have to listen to that one. Make makes sense that uh makes sense that uh they wouldn't put Skrillex in this game, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Kevin, I will say you're surprised about the the save file requirement from Melody of Memories. Is it surprising though? This is a this is a series that connects every little thing to all right, itself. How many times have they done that? No, but my my point is, of all franchises to put in the game, the one that insists that everything related to its story is key to its story and everything needs to be played, they would do some sort of weird time where you have to play some other Kingdom Hearts just to fully experience Kingdom Hearts in Smash Brothers. Like, it almost yeah, makes sense. Yeah, is Smash part of the lore now? Yeah, how's that work? Oh, is, is there... N- Nomura, Nomura is somewhere trying to figure out how to fit this into this game. I do have a theory of what his half-ass explanation might be. Uh, I am going to spoil Kingdom Hearts 3 uh, here. Spoiler so alert. if you don't want Kingdom Hearts 3 spoiled, skip ahead about 30 seconds. Okay, at the end of Kingdom Hearts 3, it is implied that Sora is dead. So I'm going to assume that this is the afterlife for him. End of spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, wait, can we go back to spoilers for a second? Skip okay. ahead 15 to we 30 are, seconds. Uh, folks i just yeah, want to say I'm, if, I'm if, sorry if, if, if nintendo here, is but, uh, he- if nintendo is heaven oh man i didn't believe in an afterlife but now i do if i get to go hang out with all the characters oh god that'd be amazing anyway end of spoiler but that place they're all well they were angel they were never alive to begin with they're all just fiction but but if oh, you both limbo gotcha yeah <laughs> um yeah it actually makes sense kevin i can see that being the explanation it, 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 and and even then, it, there is a. I, I won't get into it. That, that I'm like half joking, half serious with that with that yeah. theory. 
Well, that, yeah. that's the thing with Kingdom Hearts is it's so, without spoiling anything, it's so like all over the map. I mean, <laughs> to conclude the Smash presentation, Sakurai revealed that Kingdom Hearts is coming to the Switch, right? Like all of them. We don't have dates, we don't have footage, we don't have anything but the titles, but we know we're getting three sets of compilation in of, of themselves that can be purchased from the eShop in one big compilation, which is almost as convoluted as the series itself. But looking at that list, like, you oh, know, yeah. you're you guys, you guys can finally play, yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to read them off, and then you can translate what this actually means. Because there's three games, but there's actually yeah. nine games. Ready? Here we go. I wrote them all down in full name just to show you Let's how go. insane the tiles are. So... Compilation number one, and again, all these can be one big compilation, but compilation number one is Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 plus 2.5 Remix, which includes Kingdom Hearts Final Mix, Kingdom Hearts Rechain of Memories, Kingdom Hearts 385 Days Over to HD Remastered Cinematics. I thought you wanted me to explain them. I will. All right, the, go from, I'm just going to go, go through this because it's too go crazy. Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix, Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep Final Mix. Well, let mix. me explain what they are as, King- as you go along. All right. It makes fine. it easier yeah, for really, me. The point yeah, I, was, I really wanted to know yeah. which... Okay. Which, the point which, I was trying to get at was how many crazy names are stacked in these compilations. But okay, let's let's slow it down. Let's slow it down. Okay, Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 plus 2.5 Remix. That's compilation one. Game one, Kingdom Hearts Final Mix. Kevin, go. Okay, so Final Mix is... when Whenever you see Final Mix, that basically means Director's Cut. So Kingdom Hearts Director's Cut. Okay. Rechain of Memories. Chain of Memories was the game on the... Uh, on the Game Boy Advance, Rechain of Memories was the PS2 full 3D remake. 385 over two days, HD remastered cinematics. Okay, here is where we go <laughs> way off the chain, way off the rails. Off the chain of memories, uh, perhaps? Yeah, exactly. Um, you play as Sora's... Oh, th- I guess that would be a, sp- a spoiler. You, you play as Roxas, who was introduced in Kingdom Hearts 2. Yes, I understand that we haven't gotten to Kingdom Hearts 2 yet. <laughs> he plays Roxas, and uh, there is there is sort of like a, a day cycle that goes on with this game. That's all I'll say about that one. I actually never finished that one. That one was, was the on DS the one, right? Game Boy. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah, that was on the DS. All right, Kingdom Hearts Two Final Mix, probably self-explanatory. Yes, exactly. That's where uh, Tetsuya Nomura started uh, smoking pot, and you could tell from the story. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep Final Mix. Uh, Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep is a prequel to the entire series and probably my favorite game in the series. Kingdom Hearts Recoded HD Remastered Cinematics. Okay, so Kingdom Hearts Coded was this mobile game where you play as digital Sora reliving... You're going through Jimmy's, Jimmy Cricket's journal because Jim, uh, Jimmy Cricket follows you along for your adventure. And they're, like Jimmy Cricket forgets something or something like that and then... He has to create a digital Sora to, like, relive the events of Kingdom Hearts 1. And just like every goddamn game in this series, yes, it is integral to Kingdom Hearts 3. You would not believe my Pikachu face when I realized that, (laughs) oh, I should have played Coded, the mobile game? Okay, next. All right, so that's Compilation 1, which, again, is a third of a bigger compilation. Compilation 2 is Kingdom Hearts... 2.8 2.8 final chapter prologue, which comes with Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop, Dream Drop Distance HD. Kevin? Yeah, it takes place after Kingdom Hearts 2. It was the 3DS game. Kingdom Hearts 0.2 Birth by Sleep hyphen a fragmentary passage hyphen. Okay, that takes place. You play as Aqua, who was one of the main characters from Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. Uh, it takes place Are after Birth by Birth Sleep. Birth by Sleep? What? 
This is a different it is separate from Birth by Sleep in a separate compilation, and it's a point two version. Was also sort of like a tech demo for people to see how good uh, Kingdom Hearts three would look. Okay, and lastly, in this second compilation, a movie Kingdom Hearts Cross back cover. Okay, so Birth by Sleep was a prequel to the entire Kingdom Hearts series. Uh, Kingdom Hearts Cross is a prequel to the entire series as a whole. And oh boy, do you absolutely need to see that to understand <laughs> a, a a very pivotal scene at the end of Kingdom Hearts three? I did not play Cross. It's it's like a web browser game that was also turned into a mobile game. I did not play it. So oh my god. Okay, the, next next. What's the next? Okay, one? the final compilation is the simplest. It is Kingdom Hearts three plus Remind DLC. Oh God, the simplest plus the Remind DLC. So Kingdom Hearts three, the third entry, believe it or not, in the Kingdom Hearts series. <laughs> and to understand that game, you must have gone through the rest of the series. Do not buy this. Do not get into it. I'm saving you the trouble. I'm saving you the hassle of trying to understand the story. All right, here's my question to you, Kevin. After I, I never actually played the Remind DLC. Here's my question to you. You're saying to people, save yourselves. Are you going to double dip when it comes to Switch? God, no, because they are the cloud versions. <laughs> yes, on that's top the interesting of, On top thing. of everything, they're the cloud They're the cloud versions, Yeah, which is weird. Uh, 1.5, 2.5, uh, I feel like, should absolutely be able to run on a Switch. They ran on PS2s, for God's sake, so I don't understand the reasoning behind the cloud versions. Kingdom Hearts 3, I can understand, but right. not the rest of it. I, I wonder if, like... They're on cloud because maybe – I mean the PS2 one doesn't make sense. Maybe for at least some of them there is some truth to the original idea of a Switch Pro and like the reason – you know, a 4K Switch and up-res, the more powerful. And maybe the reason we don't have footage or anything is because Square Enix was actually planning to use the souped-up Switch to power these – some of these. And then in light of Nintendo's pivot, they're now moving everything to the cloud and thus they have nothing to show because it's not really on spec yet, maybe. That's just me spitballing. I think the real or concern to your point about cloud and like you're not getting access on cloud is well, obviously one thing – it limits how you can play these. So yeah, you can play them on your new Switch OLED with a wired LAN connection, but you can't pick up that OLED and go outside unless you have Wi-Fi because there goes your game. And I think what's kind of potentially concerning is um, I feel like more third parties are going to do this because I don't think, to your point, the reason they're bringing PS2 games to Switch and Cloud isn't because the Switch can't play a PS2 game. I think it's because for publishers, it kind of saves money and it's another way to cut costs. Like for them, it means no need to figure out physical distribution. It means they remove friction of consumers being like, oh man, nine Kingdom Hearts games. I don't have the storage for that because you don't need storage. It's streaming. So I'm guessing that's partly why they did it. And I think we're going to, for better or worse, see cloud versions start to pick up momentum on Switch. I mean, obviously PS5 and Xbox Series games poured over won't work. But even the day of the last Nintendo Direct, this developer named Dear Villagers just casually announced and i think it's already released a cloud version of their adventure game the forgotten city no big time with nintendo no hubbubaloo in a presentation it just happened like any game would come to the eShop, except this one's in the cloud and i suspect as time goes on more and more are going to do that just because like i said it removes some friction for the publisher and for the consumers so it just seems it adds a whole nother set of friction but if you're like oh i only have a switch and i want to play kingdom hearts uh 0.2 birth by sleep hyphen a fragmentary passage hyphen my only option is the cloud, and I'll do it if that's my only option. I really want to play it, you know? So, Speaking of cloud, yeah. cloud, who most people might know from Super Smash Brothers, makes an appearance in uh, the Kingdom Hearts series. Hear that, everyone? Kevin tells you not to buy Kingdom Hearts, then tells you cloud is in Kingdom Hearts. So I think you're all going to be buying Kingdom Hearts. 
Look what you did. Yeah, Make it's a Smash Bros. reunion yeah. in that game. It's uh, it's actually not the only weird, poorly named compilation that's coming to Switch, though, because um, this one's not on the cloud, fortunately. This one we kind of already knew was happening. But uh, Grand Theft Auto, the Trilogy Definitive Edition, was announced in a weirdly similar way to Kingdom Hearts, where they're just like, hey, it's happening, with no actual footage outside of like 15 seconds of character art animations and no details outside of it will have refined visuals and gameplay enhancements, but it is official now and it is coming out later this year on Switch. Uh, you know, it, I think we talked about when it was rumored, like, would we, what would this look like? Would we care about it? Is it going to do well? But what I find kind of interesting here, and, and maybe it's just me, is uh, there's 12 weeks less, uh, 12 weeks left in the year, less actually. There's 10 weeks realistically that they could release this thing. It's out within 10 weeks, and they don't have any footage, not even a screenshot. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm really into this faster marketing cycle that has kind of come out of the pandemic. You know, Metroid Dread going from existing after 15 years of not existing to out in four months almost to the day is really nice. And it's cool for movies and music as well, like just the, the faster turnaround of stuff. But, like, if you're revealing, revealing something in 10 to 12 weeks – is it weird to have nothing to show? It's not like the game could be that deep in development still. Like, what are they... What are they... We should be able to have a sense of what it looks like. Like, they should know what it looks like. Like, what? what's going on there? Like... I'm sure a month out we will see what this game looks I'm like. I'm sure, they're, but then why not, not just, just wait hide it. five more weeks and announce it a month out? Like, it, it's very strange how they did this. Like... To draw up the hype. I guess. But the... I mean, yeah, I guess... I feel like the rumors... It's weird because, like, the rumors happened, like, a month or a month and a half ago, which we talked about at the time. And then it went silent. And then Rockstar today – or Friday was basically like, yep, it's true. And then they're going to go silent again, and then the game comes out. The only reason I can think of that they maybe announced it now is because they're delisting some of the older games on digital platforms in preparation for this. But again, I don't know why they didn't sync that up with at least, like, a trailer. It's – or a screenshot – a single screenshot. I don't know. It, it just struck me as weird, but – Anyway, that's just a tangent. Um, it is kind of cool. Nintendo's finally getting a lot of games that didn't used to be on Nintendo. Uh, this was a point that I think Emily Rogers made on Twitter, if I remember correctly. But basically, all these PS2 era franchises that are so defining of that era are now finally available to Nintendo fans a couple generations later. Because we have Kingdom Hearts, we have Grand Theft Auto, we already have like Devil May Cry and um, Oshinuya and stuff like that. You know, the Capcom Samurai game. So... It, it's just like the only thing missing is probably like Metal Gear but it, it's kind of neat that Crash you know we're getting all these what were once PlayStation icons are now available on a Nintendo platform for the first time so kind of cool um, but to sort of wrap up the Smash discussion and really the episode as a whole uh, Angel you touched on this a little bit ago um, like 20 minutes ago maybe there is no Smash Bros anymore and you know we were saying that you were saying that maybe going back to simpler fighting game with new with new movesets or something could be cool but i'm just thinking like smash Bros. has been nintendo's hype generator in a way for quite a while like the, the game awards we all assumed smash bros was gonna have its final fire at the game awards uh and it was just announced that the show is in fact coming back in person as a live event at the microsoft theater here in la on december 9th um although due to covid they are limiting the audience to invitation only Meaning this is the first truly live Game Awards I'm going to miss since year two, unless Jeff Keighley wants to like somehow hook me up if he's out there. But for Nintendo, like I was saying, Smash was kind of their safe bet. I was going to do the exact same thing. What? Nothing. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, um, Smash Bros. was their safe bet for the show because it was one of the few things that went beyond like the Nintendo fandom. You know, it's why they did Bayonetta before and Marvel Ultimate Alliance for it resonates with a larger core gamer audience. And I don't know what they fill that with this year. Like, I guess Breath of the Wild 2? Maybe? Like, they, the Breath of the Wild 1 was in the first Game Awards, so it's not that hard to assume, but I don't know. It's weird because Smash was always the safety net. Do, is there? Do you guys think there's any anything that we know is on the docket that could really hit with people at the Game Awards? Because we don't have our usual assumption anymore. It's gone. Not that I can think of. I don't know. Maybe whenever they show the first footage of Metroid Prime 4, that'll probably be a big deal. But That can make I don't sense. Know, that's something that we show during the Game Awards. It's, well, if Metroid Dread is as well-received as it seems like it's being, like if the sales match the buzz right now and the positive reviews, I could see them doing Metroid Prime 4 again. Because obviously showing it at the Game Awards a few years ago is kind of like, hey, remember Metroid, and that was a huge thing. And now Metroid's back, and if it's being well-received... That could work. They unveil Sakurai's next project. <laughs> Kid Icarus uh, Uprising 2. Well, I'd be okay with that because the controls would actually be normal. Um, the Metroid... The yeah, Metroid... The controls were always fine. What? No, I said the controls were always fine. Not if you're left-handed. Well, tough cookies. It, it was tough, like actually. Exactly, yes. <laughs> but um, on, on the Metroid lane, uh, one of the favorite things that people always bring up is Metroid Prime Trilogy and every Game Awards is going to be back. Now there's this new twist on the rumor that there is no trilogy. It's just Metroid Prime. Um, so even if 4 doesn't show up, the rumor is they're going to possibly remake Metroid Prime 1 or at least revamp. Um, and that's going to come in 2022 for the 20th anniversary of the original Metroid Prime's release. So that would line up with a Game Award reveal. And, uh, and who knows if it's true, but the, the rumor stems from, um, in this time at least, it stems from Jeff Grubb over at uh, VentureBeat, who's fairly reliable. But um, it also has kind of the backing of old rumors stand by Emily Rogers and a few other journalists. And essentially, what's being said now, which take it as you will, Trilogy wasn't ever truly Trilogy. They were discussing bringing over the Trilogy as standalone maybe re-releases. So that would mean Metroid Prime would get an HD edition kind of like Skyward Sword did, and then Metroid Prime 2 would, and then Metroid Prime 3 would, potentially. Um, it honestly kind of makes more sense. This isn't how we're talking about why release three Primes in one when you could release three Primes as three separate Primes that cost three times the money. So, I don't know. I, I'm not necessarily saying the rumor's true, but it kind of makes sense, especially if they're riding the Metroid Dreadwave and want to build up hype for Prime 4 and kind of reintroduce it to an audience. I believe it. But I guess worst case scenario, they do still have Smash news. We don't know when the Amiibo are coming, guys. We know Min Min, Steve, and apparently also Alex are all coming in spring 2022, but the rest are going to follow. And there's apparently people out there that still care because Steve is getting Alex. Like, they made an alt costume Amiibo when I it felt like Amiibo were kind of done and over with. I know, Angel, you're completely done with Amiibo, right? Yeah, like, there was that rare exception that I got the banjo one from my brother but we didn't even open that one normally we will actually open them and use them but yeah i didn't even get ridley didn't even get k rule which i would have really really wanted at one point but i i'm just like I, i'm already unfazed by amiibo or jaded i'm jaded to them uh, whatever the term is yeah and, and but yeah and kevin you've been long done with amiibo haven't you yep yeah, I remember you giving out a bunch of yours here on the show. Although I will ago. get, it. I 
Yeah, I will get a uh, a Sora amiibo in uh, 2024 when that's released. <laughs> yeah, that probably is when it's released. I mean, and that's kind of funny thing is we were talking about how like Smash is over. Not really. There's still amiibo for another like two years. So by then there'll be another Smash. I mean, I know it's I, it's, it's over in a main <laughs> way, but I'm just saying like it's not like the news cycle for Smash Bros has officially stopped. There's still amiibo coming. Um, yeah, but but none of that news will ever be no, of course not. I was, gargantuan. It will never be, and it'll never be at the game awards. It, was, it will yeah. barely hit the radar. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and kind of along the lines of things that will never be at the game awards. Um, it would be kind of funny or interesting if Nintendo used this massive audience of gamers to formally promote Super Nintendo World to a broader crowd for the first time. It is coming to LA in 2022. They finally announced the Donkey Kong expansion for the Japanese park, which is coming in 2024. We still don't know what's at that Donkey Kong expansion. I mean, there's that patent flowing around for the awesome um, minecart ride roller coaster, but like, it seems like you're jumping off tracks, but you're on a separate hidden track and like, it looks really cool. But like, they could throw a curveball. Again, that's something that appeals to a bar group. It could be a curveball. I, I doubt it, but you never know. Could happen. Could be a commercial during the Game Awards show with a date announcement for the LA opening. Like you have the world's attention at that point, you might as well. It's twenty million people you could let know at once. Who knows? Um, I am curious what they're going to do with DK though, because like the minecart thing makes sense. Some sort of banana themed restaurant, sure. But like, what what is there in Donkey Kong besides that? Funky Kong's walking around, like a, a tiki room that plays the DK rap. Like, you can ride the animals. Like, I don't really, like, what, I I feel like Donkey Kong's actually kind of limited in what it can do as a theme park. Am I crazy? Well, that's why you're not a universe-engineer, imagine, person. Whatever. That is their technical title, title, correct. <laughs> yeah. But, like, am I forgetting a key part of the franchise? Or am I just, I don't know. I guess I, I mean, it's probably not going to be as big as the other areas. It's increasing I mean, the park's footprint by like, I think it was two thirds or something. So you're right; it's not quite the same scale. I mean, yeah, like there could be less things there, but I mean, what they could have could be more prominent. Like, like you said, if they have the giant like monkey golden temple, I mean, that could easily take up a lot of real estate. True, true. And just kind of just be a massive. I mean, even look at the Harry Potter thing. There isn't a lot of things at the Universal Harry Potter area. I mean, it's, it feel, it's very small, but it's very dense. So I'm wondering if that'll be the same. Like, honestly, with just the things you mentioned, that could probably be enough, just depending on how it's arranged. Right. But, you know, and it will, you know, it's still connected to Nintendo World, so that'd be nice. But It's going to feel more like a complete... I might just postpone my trip to Japan to just go to that one. Yeah, I had that same thought, considering it was going to be the same trip, so that makes makes sense. But also by then, uh, Pokemon Company is doing something with Universal as well at the Osaka campus. Oh yeah, that's the way for all of those. Yeah, so it it sounds like... Or maybe just go twice. It's interesting because Pokemon is doing something separate from Nintendo World because it is half its own company. But like, if you're a Nintendo fan, like a Pokemon and Nintendo Park side-by-side sounds pretty amazing. Plus you got Nintendo Tokyo and like the Kirby Cafe. Like... and uh, what else? So settled. So I'll probably still go some point next year, and then we'll all go together once. Did you ditch? Okay, I see how it is. But also, when you go, not always there. If if you wait long enough, because there's the theme parks, there's the Kirby Cafe, there's the Nintendo Store, there's the Nintendo headquarters being turned into a hotel in Kyoto. There's Nintendo's old uh, factory or uh, distribution center outside Kyoto being turned into a Nintendo museum of sorts. Like there's official by Nintendo. There's so much. Like, you can literally do a Nintendo trip to Japan and take a whole week. It's amazing. 
it's 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 my mecca i can't wait anyway sorry <laughs> um i think unless you guys have any other te- don't you have an actual mecca what? uh israel i guess for us jews yeah although it's not <laughs> called mecca because mecca is the uh islamic one and do you control these, like ride in them and fly around, or will, like, no, not mechs, not here? mechs, mechas. What you think? We you think all? Yeah, the, wait, like when I anime. said that Jews have Israel as their mecca, essentially, you think that every Jewish person climbs into a robot shaped like the country of Israel and walks around? Not shaped like the country, just like Gundam. But but I just told you it was Israel. So unless the name of the robot is Israel, I can only assume you picture yeah. the country of Israel walking around as a robot, which. Now that you mention it, it would be kind of neat to see. I wish I had my own Gundam. I could fly it to Japan for all the Nintendo things. It'd be free because it's mine. Yeah. You're just going to have to settle for a plane. I know. Things. But I could take a Pokemon plane to really tie in the entire experience. But yeah, looking forward to our trip in 2024. Man, can't believe we just delayed it three years just like that. Well, group trip. I mean, I'm still going to go next year. Can't believe you basically just ditched me for one trip to then push me off to another trip for the second time. <laughs> but we'll uh, we'll save that. Yeah, am I included in this trip that's next year? I would assume so. Yeah, it sounds like only Jason. Same. Why am I not, not on the trip? Yeah. You like, know what? You know he'd, what? He'd miss it. Oh, he'd darn, it for guys. You know that he missed the last one. Darn, it's it's already a full episode. We're going to have to stop here before before this keeps going and I get further uninvited. What what a bummer. No, we'll we'll continue off episode. We'll, oh, we'll no, no, off, that's okay. Off, uh, that's okay. It can just yeah, stop. It can just stop with the show. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, that does actually do it for this episode in all seriousness. Um, oh, look at the time. Next, what was that? No, I just said, oh, look. Oh, yeah. Oh, darn. Man, shucks. Uh, but yeah, next episode, like, there's a fair amount in this one. Next one's pretty much toe to toe when it arrives on October 24th, because, uh, we'll have really sunken our teeth into Metroid Dread with impressions of that. I think Angel, your singer, got it beaten by then, if not way sooner. Probably have it beaten by tomorrow. Well, there you go. So, we'll have full impressions of Metroid Dread. Uh, I mean, game isn't that long, and I mean, Metroid game, 2D Metroid games typically aren't true, that long. True, true. They're usually, like, around. I don't know, less than 15 hours. So we have two weeks to do 15 hours. That's an hour a day. Wait, can I beat Metroid? Whoa, that's an hour a day. I might be able to beat Metroid. Huh. Anyway, well, Metroid Dread. Theoretically, you can beat every game that you buy. I mean, it'll take someone 15 hours. I mean, I don't know. If the bosses scale the way they did in Metroid 2, it might take you a little longer. Well, I'll I'll maybe well, I'll see. maybe try my darndest, which is me committing without actually committing. So we'll have Metroid Dread in some capacity in two weeks. We're also gonna have hands on with Sora and Smash Bros because that will be out by then, and we're gonna be learning store uh, learning what's in store for Animal Crossing because its direct is on October fifteenth, and there's a bunch of other stuff too probably. So to make sure you don't miss it, you can subscribe to us on every podcast app under Sun, whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, TuneIn, Spotify, Amazon Music. We are on YouTube at RandomNintendo.com. Uh, we are on Twitter at RandomNintendo. And the beauty of doing all that is you'll also get alerted when our next random non-Tendo hits, which should be in the in-between weekend around the 17th. So lots to come. Uh, we're, we're definitely getting into the busy fall and holiday season for Nintendo, which is always exciting. And I guess with that kevin final word i can no longer tell sakurai who to put in smash